Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. All right, welcome in part three of our 2020 season in review. We are extremely excited about this episode. Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick uh, from the Pink Seats podcast. We've got two great guests uh, that when it comes to Louisville football and writing, uh, this is as good, as good as it gets in our city and in our community. Uh, start with Cameron Teague, Louisville football beat writer. Welcome into the show, Cameron. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, thanks for taking time out of your weekend to sit down and talk some football with us. And then this man needs no introduction. Good friend, good friend of the show, Keith Wynn, Deputy Editor at Card Chronicle. Keith, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, talking some football. Yeah, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the football season. A lot to break down. Uh, We have already spent two episodes looking at the offense and the defense and really taking a statistical deep dive into the season that was. And uh, Matt, I think we've got some good questions lined up here to kind of try to get answers to those things that you and I just, uh, when it comes to football knowledge, we're just not there. Yeah, hopefully if it's anything like the last couple of episodes, it's going to be a deep statistical dive, which is right on my alley. I don't know about you two, but... I just just talking about all those nitty gritty stats just just gets me going and gives me a deeper understanding as to why some nuances of the team, you know, transpired the way they did. Hey, Keith, Keith, Keith is the expert here, man. <laughs> and, I, and I stuff I don't even think about half the time. So he, he's got you. All right. Well, let's start. Let's start nerd. with this. In terms of covering football season, you guys are both seasoned writers. Have been doing this for a while. But in terms of covering a football season in a pandemic, what's kind of like the the one thing that sticks out to you? Your favorite thing and your and your least favorite thing? Uh, personally, I hated it, man. Uh, <laughs> it was awful. I mean, I think for me, because I, I mean, I'm at I get to go to the, all the, like I'm at most of the practices usually and. It's just so weird not being able to interact with the players and coaches in person. Like, you know, like we, we get we would get Brian Brown on a Wednesday and not being able to just grab him and talk to him afterwards. Not even about football, just like to talk. Um, that that I think that's the the worst part. Like when Dwayne Leopard broke his hand after the first game last year, like after his press conference the next week, I, we were just talking about like kind of how he did it and just kind of that stuff. Like that that's the stuff you miss, just talking to the, the coaches and stuff um, and the players. Um I think my favorite part is just actually getting to cover football because for so long over the summer, we didn't know we'd get a chance to do it. So I'm all about writing about football and talking about football while we, while we have the opportunity. Keith, what about you, man? You know, I think it's weird, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a blogger. I, I kind of write and I do my, my normal stuff, but it was kind of weird not having, um, you know, like not knowing whether the games are going to happen, not knowing who's going to play, I know who's going to play for the other team. Uh, I mean, that's kind of where I, my bread and butter is kind of looking at the other team and kind of looking at the matchups and seeing how the game's going to go based on who's playing. And when you don't know, or you don't even know what coaches are going to be able to coach in, in a game, 
uh, it makes it kind of hard. Um, but, I, you know, it's weird. I, I think one of the best things about the season is as weird as it might sound, because obviously I'm a fan, was that there was some adversity. There was some difference to write about, something that, you know, when it, when things are going well, obviously it's kind of easy to write about that stuff. But having to look into what's going wrong, um, having to kind of find things to defend and find things to kind of, you know, that maybe people aren't looking at of why things are doing well. You know, um, so obviously writing about the defense this year was kind of fun because they did some good things on defense, even though it didn't really look that way when you watch the games all the time. So um, so that was kind of fun. That's always more interesting than just being able to write that, hey, everything's peachy, you know. So, um, so that was a good part of the season. I will say by like week six, I got sick of writing. They turned the ball over. To per- yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say there's only so many ways you can uh, talk about turnovers ad nauseum. All right, so let me ask you this. So we, we enter the season with expectations of Louisville being at least a, a somewhere near the top of the ACC. You know, there was some belief that maybe they could compete as a dark horse for the ACC title. I, I think that most football people would have told you that was unrealistic. But um, we look at, you know, on the other side of a 11-game season of how things went, what's the one thing? I know we just kind of jokingly said turnovers, and Matt and I, that was the easy answer was turnovers. But what's the one thing that just kind of defined the season for Louisville? I mean, I, I've said it on multiple times. I, I thought it was missed opportunities, and turnovers is only one of them. I mean, I've told you many times, Jacob, many times on this podcast that I legitimately thought Louisville had a dark horse chance to get to Charlotte just because they had a favorable schedule when it was re-released. Uh, the offense we thought was going to be as efficient as they were last year. That all we had to have, uh, all we had to see was how the defense was going to pan out. And then lo and behold, the script completely flipped. It was the offense who was keeping the uh, the team out of games, and it was the defense in the last two-thirds of the season that was putting them in games. Yeah, I think if you would have asked anybody if the defense – if you told anybody in August, the defense is going to do this. Like, they're going to be this better, this much improved, um, top 15 total, total defense. I think people would have been shocked. Like, you would have thought they were going to AC Championship game. Um, but like Matt said, they just shot themselves in the foot. I think outside of maybe Notre Dame and – and probably Pitt. Like, I know Louisville turned the ball over three times against Pitt, but that was Pitt's doing a, a lot of times, I think. But most of the time, most of the time it's just Louisville uh, hurting themselves, hurt itself. So um, I, I think it's hard to, I mean, you don't want to say they only won four games because of turnovers. It's hard to say one thing could define the season. But, I mean, it's it's hard to overlook how bad they were at turnover margin this year. Yeah, I think the offense was expected to be more consistent um, and, and to be more um, – not just that explosive offense that we saw two years ago, but being able to move the ball down the field um, with, with a little bit more ease on top of getting those big plays. But I, I think, you know, one thing that kind of with the turnovers, the secondary aspect of that was maybe a lack of accountability. I don't know if they really did anything to show that players that don't protect the football would be, you know, I don't want to say bench, but at least giving other guys an opportunity. Um, you know, we really didn't see that much. Hassan Hall kind of, you know, seemed to, you know, lose his carries when he fumbled a couple times. But I don't know that we really saw that, hey, maybe Jalen Mitchell playing earlier in the season when Javian had a couple of fumbles. We obviously know that Jalen can play now. Maybe giving that opportunity would have would have spurned some, you know, a sense of urgency when it came to protecting the football. Um, that was a little bit frustrating for me. Uh, you know, obviously, we normally Cunningham turn the ball over at a ridiculous, you know, clip. Um, maybe giving Evan Conley some snaps would have maybe changed the, the 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 outcome there. Who knows? I don't know, but I mean, I feel like that was something that was a little bit surprising to me. 
Yeah, I always thought the same thing. It's the 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 lack of competition or the lack of push behind Malik Cunningham was a head scratcher. And uh, they, you know, I, I can understand sticking with a quarterback for confidence reasons, but it seemed like at times turning to somebody else to kind of uh, put some fire under a quarterback who turned the football over would be something the staff would have considered. Uh, again, big storyline here. Scott Satterfield in year two, obviously things didn't go as well as many would have expected them to, finishing four and seven. Um, Cam, in your mind, did he do more or less um, from what you saw on the field to prove that he's the man for the job moving forward? Uh, I mean, I think it obviously it was less. I mean, you can't go from eight wins to four wins and think that, like, I mean, that, I mean, that it was more. I think the trajectory of the program is still fine. I think the 2021 recruiting class was, was crucial. I mean, because they filled a lot of spots and added a lot of depth to places. But uh, it, it's hard. It, and, I, and I remember talking to him after the season, after the twenty whatever the twenty nineteen season. Um, like, I mean, you said you set all these expectations. You have to win eight games. This is coach of the year. Now everybody expects so much of you, and you got to stay there. And it's hard to it's hard to build on that. Um, and when so many people expect you to go to go to Charlotte or be a dark horse, and you only win four games, regardless of the COVID stuff, um, it's hard to look at that as as um, doing like improve like doing more regardless of what what they did up defensively so um yeah I, I would say he probably did he, did, he obviously did a, a less um to, to show I think he's still the guy for the job but he did he didn't do well this year yeah I think you have to at least hold serve right you at least have to get to the point where you're in the range of those eight wins to be able to say that okay things are great or whatever it may be um the the things that I kind of from a positive standpoint I feel like the team still played hard every game. I feel like they cel- when they celebrated those wins late in the season, it seemed like the guys were still into it. Um, they're not having a mass exodus from a transfer standpoint. The guys are losing your guys, I think, you know, are, are understandable or expected. And I think the recruiting class was really good. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of – that's another aspect of COVID that's really changed the, the perception of it because, you know, there are no visits. There are no – you know, there aren't kids that are getting um, – the, the all-star games are kind of, you know, ceremonial at this point. There's no games being played. So there's so many different things that, like, you know, you usually see those types of things, you know, looking at kids and how they played in their senior season or whether or not they made all-state. Some of these kids, don't, they're just not even going to play a senior season. So it's really hard to, you know, I don't think it's getting as much uh, notoriety, but I think they got some guys, and I think Cam nailed it. They filled some positions, but I think they filled them with kids that can play early, um, at least from a depth standpoint. And I think the, you know, we all know how Bobby was, you know, the, the numbers issue was such a factor. I think they've been able to really fix the numbers and they're recruiting to replace guys that are leaving. So I think they should be able to actually, you know, have, they won't have as many death concerns uh, in the long run, which is a positive. Yeah, kind of building off of your point, Keith. Um, I'm not going to say he did less, but I'm not going to say he did more because obviously when you get, like Cam said, when you go from eight wins to four wins, that's clear and obvious regression there. But he countered that. He ended he ended the season strong. He had, um, I believe, on paper, one of the top recruiting classes in program history, which that had that shows that they're, they're being successful on the recruiting trail. They're building depth, like you said, Keith. So while he wasn't, entirely successful on the field away from the field and helping build his program for the future he, he succeeded in that department and so I'm going to say I want to see more by the time year three gets uh, gets around we're going to have a roster that's more than half of his guys so by that point I'll, I'll be willing to have a definitive standpoint in saying if Satterfield's the right guy or not 
Yeah, I think that uh, everything you guys said is kind of right in terms of the coaching position. I will say the one thing that I I do believe he deserves some credit for, obviously Brian Brown, Court Dennison being co-defensive coordinators, but um, that defense took a big step forward, and had they not done that, this season could have been significantly worse. Louisville could have gotten beat far worse in a lot of games and not been um, at least in positions to win. I, I do believe Scott Satterfield when he said that they were in games and, you know, for the most part could have won almost all of them. So uh, let's move into the offense. We we really had a hard time putting our heads around this when the, the, the statistics are great in terms of being able to move the football, being able to get big plays, obviously not the same level as 2019. Uh, but when you lose Javian Hawkins and Tutu Atwell the way that they did, uh, that obviously is a reason for that or a big part of it. But um, they ran the ball well in spurts. They they threw the ball well. Obviously, they turned the football over a lot. Um, but, but, Cam, I'll start with you here. Was there a stat or something that just kind of stood out from the offense that kind of defined the season for you? Um, other than turnovers. Um, yeah, I, it, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. I think when I, I did my, like, yearly, like, kind of – step-by-step thing. I was surprised that they improved in cycles for loss per game. I mean, I surely thought they were going to be way behind there considering they gave up nearly, it felt like 30 to pit. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I it's just, it's, it just surprises me how much they were nearly on pace stats from last year. Like you're looking at, I mean, they had over, they were over 200 yards rushing over 200 yards passing the yards for play was kind of the same. It's, and Scott said, if told me the other day, it's like, that's very similar to an eight, eight win season. Only difference is you had twenty some turnovers. Um, so I, I think what surprised me the most, though, is that the lack of being able to get other receivers involved. You would think in year two, I thought Justin Marshall was going to have a big year. I would like to think he would have a big one next year with Tutu and Dez gone. Um, I thought, and I, I really thought they were going to get Dez the ball a little bit more. Um, I, I thought that would have been a big thing to help the offense open up. I can't agree more on the on the Dez factor. I think that it's still even after the season. I'm surprised that it took uh, late into his senior year or second year with his staff for them to kind of realize that he opens things up for everyone else on top of the fact that he's going to make the play, Um, you know, and and I think they had a, they had that tendency to just force the ball to two, especially in in key situations where the defense knew exactly that they were going to force the ball to him. And you have a guy like Des who just is so reliable, uh, let alone the fact that he's such a big playmaker, he was just a reliable guy. So I, I, that was a, that was really, you know, I agree. That's the most surprising thing, I guess, that, that to, for me. Um, but on top of that, I, I was really – I thought it was good that they were able to um, keep that yards per play number around where it was the year before without as many explosive plays, without Tutu being that consistent uh, explosive play, playmaker. They got more – they got some more big runs out of JV, and obviously uh, they did get more big plays out of Des because they – he was the only receiver after a while. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's that's something that from a long-term standpoint, <clears throat> obviously without those three guys, without JV and Dez and, and Tutu, they're going to have to find guys to be those big playmakers. But I think we saw that Jalen Mitchell can be that guy. Son Hall is still, you know, if he's, if he's healthy, um, I think he, he's, a, he's a guy that can make those big plays. And then from the receiver standpoint, Jordan Watkins, I mean, I think he he showed some flashes. Justin Marshall, I agree, is just a guy that, I mean, you just expect him to be a bigger factor. If they can get that and that can be a consistent thing with the defense improving, I think that Louisville's in a good position going forward. 
I'll just go back to uh, when we were talking about our offensive stats. We we're talking about turnover rate and touchdown rate. This it truly showed how boomer bust they were this year between touchdowns and turnovers. In terms of uh, in using the stats from Football Outsiders, in terms of offensive turnover rate, Louisville turned the ball over on 18.2 percent of their drives, which was ninth worst in FBS. And then you counter that with their offensive touchdown rate, which was the amount of their possessions ended in a touchdown. And 31, 33.1 of them ended in a touchdown, which was 20, 22nd in FBS. So more often than not, Louisville's drives either ended in either a touchdown or a turnover. And it, we just keep finding new ways to say turnovers caused this season. But, but I mean, if, if you eliminate some of those turnovers, like some of those can easily turn into touchdowns and turn four wins into five wins or six wins. That turnover yeah. number is gross, by the way. <laughs> that's just that's disgusting i, I got that <laughs> like that's just insane uh i did not know that and that's just ugh. It, it got to the point where like i mean the boston college game when they were dri- driving to win the game i was like they're gonna turn the ball over it, it, it didn't matter what they did i was already had my story written i was like did they turn the ball over i'm not they're not gonna win this game no for me for me it was disappointing in the virginia game when malik when you thought they had the semblance of a game-winning drive going on and then Malik played a little bit too much hero ball on that 15 some odd yard scramble. And towards the end of that fall, you're, you're just thinking in the back of your mind, he's about to cough this ball out. And lo and behold, oh, 100%. like you're watching him run and you're like, Oh, that ball is just out there just waiting for somebody. And, yep. you know, I think one of the things that, that, that really stood out that play and, and some other plays, you play a team like Virginia, you know, one thing about them as an offensive player, they have length. They have long, athletic guys, and those types of players, that's what they're specializing in is their arms out there stripping the ball, getting their hands on the ball. So, you you know, that's one thing that, you know, you, you, when I talked about, I wrote a piece about how Louisville doesn't value the football. And it's been, a, it's been a thing for Louisville football for years. But those are the types of mental aspect things that you hope that, that the staff can kind of get into these guys when it comes to scouting that sticks with these guys. You can do that against some teams. And, and get away with, you know, not carrying the ball close and feeling like you're going to outrun everybody, whatever it may be. You're not going to do that against a team like Virginia that recruits that way. That's what they look for is their defense and make plays, turn the ball over to get their offense in short fields, and Louisville play right into that. So those are the types of frustrating things you saw from the offense this year that you hope growth and development and, and coaching will hopefully change those things. You guys are the experts, so that's why we brought you on here to kind of break that down. And that, Keith, that turnover number was – it's disgusting. I can't even think about it because you think about how many times the defense gave Louisville the ball back in, you know, a favorable spot um, and just how the roles were reversed from 2019 where then they're like, God, come on, man, we got to do this again? Like, we just got to stop for you guys this time around. Why, why you got to do this to us? But moving on, and maybe you guys touched about this uh, on this a little bit as I'm trying to figure out my equipment over here, but um, in year two – um, in terms of an offensive evolution, Keith, we've talked about this numerous times. The The term for the offense in 2019 was vanilla. They said that on numerous occasions that they didn't feel that they got to where they wanted it to be. In 2020, what did you see that, that stood out that was good? I know that there wasn't a lot because they lost a lot of football games. They turned the football over. But in the X's and O's, what did you see that you didn't see in year one that you really thought like, hey, this this will work. I like this kind of new wrinkle or new evolution of the offense. Honestly, it probably it balances out because I thought in the first half plus of the season, they were more vanilla than they were the year before. Uh, they took some things off the table that they used to do. But I think towards the end of the season, the big thing that I like to see was they 
started running like a counter run off of that zone play uh, where they would, you know, everything would go one way and the, and the back would cut back the opposite direction. Um, and then in the, the last game when, when the, the offensive line was decimated by the COVID issues, they started running and they just, they, they actually adjusted, got the completely abandoned the outside zone and went inside zone exclusively. Um, and Jalen Mitchell had a big game. I, I thought it was good that they were adapting um, because that is something that I think that every fan would say that the, the, the offense, Scott Satterfield would say that, hey, we, we do what we do and we do it well. Well, you're going to have to adapt at some point when things aren't going your way. So I thought that was good to see. But, you know, it kind of frustrated me early in the season that they didn't really tweak things very much. Uh, we didn't see some of the stuff that I thought we would see. And, and then we didn't see them really use uh, Tutu Atwell the way I expected. I thought they would throw some wrinkles in with him. Uh, and I, honestly, I don't even think they tried the stuff that they tried last year with him, which was really surprising, I guess. Um, so my hope um, is that we do see more adaptability from them earlier in the season, uh, earlier in games when, when things aren't going right. They kind of stick to that, you know, 15-play script. I think it's 15 plays that, that Scott likes to run. And then they attack the defense based off of what they see on the script. I think at some point they've got to get a little bit – they've got to be, be able to adapt a little bit more quickly when th- when teams throw different things at them, um, and hopefully we see that. But late in the season, they did it. Hopefully that becomes a trend going forward. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Notre Dame game. I mean, they didn't get out of the script till the second half. I, yeah. mean, just, I mean, they also didn't have the ball, but at some point when you don't have the ball, you gotta you got to abandon your script and try to get downfield. Um, and then, so, yeah, and I, I agree with pretty much everything Keith said. I, I liked what you saw from the offense towards that last few games of the year. They were playing a lot of young guys. Um, and I think you'll see, you saw a lot more of what you'll see next year. Um, you saw Josh Johnson. I mean, I, th- I thought Josh Johnson played well in his last two games. They actually ran some slants to him. Um, they ran some, a lot, a lot of curls, some hitches to, to, break, to um, Jordan Watkins as well. I, I think you'll see a lot of that. I think it might be a little bit more um, methodical of an offense. Um, just because you don't have maybe that sheer speed of two-two and that playmaking ability of Dez, but I still think they have the big the big guys, and I I, I agree. I think the running game has a chance to be a little bit better, um, off kind of based off what you saw in that set, those last two games. I think they'll they'll build off those counters, build off kind of the inside inside zone, like Keith said. Um, I mean, I think you got three pr- pretty good backs next year when you add Travion Cooley as well. Um, so I think you just co- hope they expand on what they did those last few games. And kind of building off of what Keith said, not only did the offense at time look, look vanilla, that it was incredibly predictable. And sometimes it didn't even look like he was calling the same 15 plays. It, it, I can't tell you the amount of times fans, media, and opposing coaches expected Louisville to run on first down that same inside counterplay. It seems like they did it more often than not, and especially in the first half of the season. And maybe this is just me, but I think that game against Florida State was the first the first game of the season where it truly looked like they were abandoning some of their common plays they had ran up to that point. And we saw how that looked on the gridiron. It translated into 48 points on the scoreboard. And from there, I was expecting, okay, maybe maybe this is a turning point for the offense. Maybe they'll actually uh, break out some of their ways and be a little bit less predictable. But what was confusing to me is that the very next very next game, they went back to their old ways and were – calling predictable plays calling going back to the same vanilla offense they and they weren't they still weren't throwing slants at two like they did in the last three games they finally learned how to do that but going into next season i i, I want to see want to see a truly non-vanilla offense because it seemed like in the in the um, 
offseason. That's all I talked about. Hey, we're going to open up the playbook. We're going to open the playbook. It's going to look a lot different. Not only did it not look a lot different, it looked a lot simpler. And I want, I want to, for next year, I want to see it actually look different. How much, in your all's opinions, is the struggles of the offense to, I don't want to say to put blame on, but the offensive line, I know that in terms of a sack number that they improved in 2020, I think they went from 39 and 19 down to 30 this past year, but uh, Matt and I talked about this a little bit in our first one, uh, their their ability to control the line of scrimmage um, really suffered, and I would have thought with uh, some experience in the interior of the line, to make up for some of the newcomers that are out there taking, you know, obviously the spots of Makai Becton and Tyler Haycraft that they would uh, play a little bit better. Was there any su- surprise from you guys that they didn't take a, a bigger step forward and being able to kind of control the line of scrimmage? I think the biggest issue was that actually from a play calling standpoint, and I think once they started in uh, introducing that quicker passing game, those slant routes, those, those hitches, I mean, you look at App State's games when when Scott was there. That's what they did. That's they ran those types of routes. They that's all they were, and it, they've completely gone away from that in this in the first year and a half. And it didn't really make a lot of sense, but it was working. So you know it was you know whatever. Well, once the as this year went on, you realize that hey, you can't Malik wasn't going to be able to sit back and wait for things to develop 10, 15 yards down the field. And I don't think that the receivers are necessarily getting as open. Uh, because they were they were able to key on 2-2, which is they, they, that was what the offense is keying on, so what the defense is going to key on also. So I think that one of the one of the things that would have helped the offensive line and might help them going forward is that quicker passing game. Um, but, yeah, I think there were some issues, and I think part of that is, you know, you lose a cop back then and you lose Haycraft, who's an NFL guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's had his chance, and he's had a shot in the NFL. I don't know. You're just not going to be able to replace those guys very easily. Um and then yeah, there were that the pit game was just that was a game that I was really surprised at how poorly the interior of the line played. Um, as good as Pitt is, they just looked like they were completely overwhelmed by um, a defense that they weren't blitzing. They're rushing four guys and they could they had no chance. So that was really surprising, really disappointing, obviously. But I and think that was without Jalen Twyman. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was and, – and, and I think the play calling is really the thing that stood out to me is why they were struggling more than, than what I expected them to, I guess. Yeah, and, and I've, I remember think, say, I remember thinking that or saying that sometime around kind of the Notre Dame-Florida State game where I, I thought if they went methodical first and kind of like went with the short the – quick, the quick passing game, it just opens up so much for them because you have the speed to go deep. But when defense are just sitting back there, it's just – you just can't force it. Um, and uh, it didn't – give Malik a lot of time in the pocket. I mean, you could tell in that pit game, even when they weren't getting pressure, he thought pressure was coming. Like he was freaking out back there. So um, I agree. I, I thought Adonis Boone um, and Renato Brown got a little bit better as the season went on. I think they struggled a lot. I mean, you look at what the West Kentucky game, they were not good. Miami, they were not good. Obviously Pitt. Uh, I thought they got a lot better. Um, Cam to George started playing a lot better. I, I was, I was a little bit disappointed. I thought Robbie, Robbie Bell struggled a little bit this year. Um, I think maybe that was Cameron George playing a little bit better as well. But um, I think they'll be extremely deep next year. But I was surprised at how much they they um, they struggled a little bit more than uh, I think a lot of us expected this season. 
All right, let's talk about that. Before we move into the defense, let's talk about kind of the big storyline from the offense aside from turnovers, but it, it kind of corresponds here with that. It's kind of the key word of the <laughs> night. Um, but when you look at Malik Cunningham, obviously those 12 interceptions, a couple fumbles play a big role in what you think of his season. But if I told you that, that, that you've got a quarterback who finished fifth in the ACC in passing yards, fourth in passing touchdowns, fifth in completion percentage, uh, and fourth in passer rating, I think you'd, you'd take that uh, and you'd run with it and you'd see what you could do with the offense. Um, when you look at this season, is it a one-year blunder for the turnovers or is this something that, uh, you know, has got some legs and concern moving into the off season? I think it's hard, man. I just spent the whole year trying to figure that out. <laughs> right, like, right. Like, I mean, cause turnovers never been a problem for me. Like not back in high school, really weren't a problem last year. And you look at it and I had like, I legitimately had like this 2000 word story where I had went through every single turnover and I was like trying to figure out what was going on. And I never published it. I don't know why I never ran. I just never did. But I just I just thought there were times where, like, I mean, look at the last drive of the Boston College game. That's not his fault. The defensive lineman got a hand on the ball when he's about to throw it. Now, you look at some some other throws. I think he made a really bad read. I think Bubba Bolden against Miami got a really nice pick on him. Um, Dez saved him a pick against Weston. So it's a little bit of both. I just think Malik just gives you so much more than anybody else in that in that quarterback room right now with his legs um, and just the way he can extend plays. I think if the way they use his legs when Javion went out, I think that used him to his best ability. Um, I don't know, man. It's hard. I, I, I would like, I think it's a, it's a blip for him. I think hopefully you think with another year and um, some more experience, they'll be able to kind of correct those mistakes. And I think he was forcing a lot when they started losing. I think he was trying to force stuff to two, two. Um, so I, you'd like to think he grows from this, I think. Yeah. Quick follow-up to that, because it's interesting that you had that idea to go through every single turnover. Matt and I talked about this in our first episode as well, but Scott Satterfield at one point said he had thrown a lot of fluky interceptions and he I, named and, off three or four of them. Yeah. And, and that's what made me do it. And I went through it and there are a lot of fluky interceptions. Like you're, you're looking at, I mean, the West Kentucky one got tipped by like five people. Yeah. Yeah. just dropped a pick. Now it's not to say all of them are fluky. There were, there were, there were probably, what do you throw? 12, 15, how many turnovers? 12. Yeah, 12. 12. I, yeah. I think we're at five or six, maybe, maybe six, probably five. That was fluky. Now, some were bad decisions, but there were some fluky ones out there for sure. I actually think the fumbles are a bigger concern than the, than the interception. I, I agree. I agree. Like that, that's where, I, you know, when, when he's running, when he's in a position where there's a potential for him to be in traffic, he does not protect the football. He never has. And that's that's a concern for me. He didn't do that a year before either, and he he kind of lucked out, I think. So I think the, when I say when I bring up valuing the football, that's what I mean. Like when you know that you're in a situation where you can absolutely not, like when you absolutely have to protect the football and you don't do that, that's a that's just something to me that's always concerning. I think there are certain players that are, that are really good about that. They they know. Um, when they're in a position where the, where the football is going to be uh, stripped out or guys, you're, you're going to have multiple people coming towards you and one guy's going to try to hold you up, one guy's going to try to strip you. Um, so I think that's concerning. And I think that the only reason I, I, I think it's a long-term issue is the timing on some of those interceptions. When they're in a position to score and he's taking risk that you don't necessarily have to take. Um and I think that some of it is – I don't think it's – I think it's he's trying to make a play, uh, but he's got to learn to trust the guys around him that, hey, there's another down and somebody can make a play. Um, but I, I do wonder some of that is has the offense been too reliant on just a couple guys and not spreading the ball around and not 
from a play calling standpoint, from a philosophy standpoint, where he feels like there's more weight on him because they're going to be looking for him to make a play on third down. I mean, they run a lot of uh, draws for him. They run a lot of stuff where he's got a, you know, one, two quick reads and then, hey, you're, you got to take off. So, yeah, maybe the, maybe it's just because he feels like there's more pressure on him. So, you know, it's hard to know, and he's losing those top three guys. So, um, I have a hard time feeling like he's going to get better. But I think Cam made a good point. He's never been a guy that turned the ball over this much. So, you kind of have to go with a longer, you know, I guess what, what the, the history shows, which is that he usually protects the football or doesn't turn it over. Yeah, definitely, right, right. I don't think he protects it very well, but he <laughs> yeah. doesn't turn it over very much. This year, he, there were some flukes, so hopefully next year uh, he, he can protect it more. And also, like I said earlier, hopefully if he's not doing so, they give Evan Conley a chance to come in and maybe provide a spark or maybe take the job away if he, if he earns it. And I think a lot of that can be coached, too. I, and you made the point about the fumbles. I, I think a lot of it was Malik trying to make a play. Like not not understanding that when there's three people around you, you're a quarterback, you need to go down. And I know Scott doesn't like his quarterback sliding, but even if he doesn't go down, just like wrap two hands around the ball. You know what I mean? And I, I think a lot of it was like he feeling like he had to make a play. I think that's things where Scott or and whoever is the quarterback's coach can come in and sit him down and watch film with him all offseason. And be like, listen, these are things you have to correct. You can't. You can't force this throw. You can't try to spin out of three ta- out of three people tackling you and then lose the ball or run into three people with one hand on the ball. Those are things that I think can be coached, but it has to be a c- consistent rep all, all offseason. I don't understand why Satterfield teaches his quarterbacks to not slide ever. Yeah, you would think that he would have them slide in certain situations like in late game where ball security is key, but the fact that he doesn't preach ball security hardly at all to his quarterbacks is – I'm not going to say it's concerning, but it's odd. But for me, uh, I'm, this is, I don't have a stat for this. This is just based on what I've seen over the last couple of seasons with just my own two eyes. But it seems like this season, Malik made a lot made a lot more plays where he made one read and then moved on. I don't know. I maybe there maybe I'm I'm tripping, but it seems like last season he was a lot more methodical with going through his reads and finding the open man, whether it was Tutu blazing past or Dez, but it seems like combined with just keying on Tutu this past season. And the fact that he was just mainly looking for him and not really looking Dez's way. A lot of the time, I think the fact that he, he wasn't as methodical going through his going through his reads and progressing through them. I think that was, that could have been another reason why he struggled a little bit. So to nerd out a little bit to kind of fill that, I think the big difference this year, and Cam touched on earlier, teams were so were completely okay with just sitting back and taking away anything deep and keeping everything in front of them. That I think one of the biggest issues was that Malik was seeing was that a hey, first reason out there, and this defense is not going to allow me to take any. They're not going to give me anything, so I have to take what I can take, and that was usually with his legs. What one of those we saw the year before was that teams were willing to play man coverage across the board. The only team that really did that this year was Florida State, and they absolutely killed them. And we saw it early. As soon as Tutu, I mean, Tutu scored or had that big play early in the game, and the first thing I said is I was like, I cannot believe they're going to play man coverage on Tutu Atwell. Like, who does that anymore? I mean, you, you know, everybody learned their lesson the first year, and that was why it was so frustrating that that short passing game was not an option until late in the season. And when it was, it was just – they were picking teams apart really easily. Um, and, and it, it – that kind of takes you back to the play calling is what are we, what are they seeing in film that I think all of us who 
they don't have we don't have all 22 cams we don't have multiple angles and it's like yeah this is obvious that they're just keeping safeties back corners are staying off you've got to give them an option and one of the things that was more frustrating about it is that when you see Dez on the outside making these catches and getting five to ten yards after the catch that is a chunk play every time and it's easy first downs and then you run the ball like they love to do and I, it, you, you can't help it. I mean, this isn't really rocket science, I guess, but you kind of get frustrated seeing of asking, why didn't they do that until late in the season when Tutu was out? And then it was like, oh, yeah, let's just give Des 15 targets a game, and he's going to give you eight catches and get you 100-plus yards, and he can still get behind the defense. So that was where I think they, they did Malika disservice. Um, but I do think that at some point in the season, something had to change. And I do think once they started getting to the shorter passes, he started getting more comfortable knowing that, hey, I'm not, I don't have to, I know the defenses aren't, aren't going to be, uh, they're not going to stop what we're doing right now, which is what they did early in the season. And real quick, Jacob, I know you want to go to defense, but really quick off that team, you, you look at that first drive against Notre Dame in the second half. I mean, I thought that was probably one of their better offensive drives all year. They were just really methodical about what, how they threw the ball, when they ran the ball. I think they 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 were they were they ran some misdirection with with Javion and Malik. I I thought you look at that drive. I don't and I maybe I don't know if I can go back on film and go look at it again right now. But like if you were to look at that, you would just be like, man, this is what this offense needs to be. And they didn't do it the rest of the game, which like shocked. <laughs> now they only got the ball like once or twice more. But like um, I thought that drive is like picture perfect of what this offense could be next year. Fantastic X and O breakdowns, right? This is why we did this. Like, there's no better football coverage in Louisville than this right here. All right, let's move into the defense where we can uh, talk a little bit more positively uh, about performance. Again, four and seven is the record. It, it, it is what it is. But when you look at the defense and you talk about silver linings on a season, um, you've got to look at the passing defense. They finished 17th in the country, Matt. I believe this, the stat was first in the ACC in passing defense. I mean, uh, I, I would have never guessed that. Would have never in a million years guessed that. Uh, but here we are in Louisville, you know, they held Notre Dame to 12 points. They pitched a shutout against Syracuse this season. Cam, I'll start with you here. What what was the biggest area of improvement? I know it's easy to kind of point at the pass defense and say it was that, just like it was the turnovers. But when you kind of, you know, pull the layers back of the defense, what what stands out as the biggest improvement? It was the corners. Um, I don't think without a doubt. I mean, I think they struck gold with Kaito Clark. I remember a coach who I knew through when I was at Mizzou. He's not a coach at Mizzou, but he's an SEC coach. He texted me when uh, Clark went to uh, committed to Louisville and was like, man, Louisville got a star um, that nobody really knew about. I, I think Marlon Character came, came on well. I think Chandler Jones, who I think he was kind of beat up a little bit throughout the year, but I thought he played well when he was in power. I think that gave Brian Brown enough confidence to like, hey, I can leave some of these guys on an island and they're still going to play pretty well. They stopped giving up the big, big, the deep ball. Um, I thought that was a huge change. I mean, you knew what you had at linebacker. They still didn't get a lot of pressure even late in the year. I thought the, the, just the change was that Brian Brown knew he could put those corners out there and they wouldn't give up a deep ball. So he could really do a lot of different things with his, his front seven. Yeah, I, I watched uh, – I did a film review of all the App State games uh, from the, I guess, what, 2018 season. And I remember watching that defense and saying, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. And I think the biggest thing was that they could – four guys across the secondary, they could put in man coverage and be completely comfortable putting those guys out there and doing – and not not giving them any help. They played a lot of zero coverage. They played a lot of one safety high. And their corners are, are, are two guys that are 
had a chance to at least try to get to the NFL. They got to the, they played preseason games, practice squad guys, but they were, they were sticky in coverage. I mean, they looked like Trey Clark, like Clark did this year, that, that aggressive, always right on the hip hands, always in, in the, in the receivers, you know, in the, in the catch area in the, in the radius. I mean, that's, that's what Brian Brown wants. And I think that not only did we see that from, um, from Clark, you saw that more from character. You saw that late in the 2019 season from Chandler Jones. You see it early, like a little bit of flashes from Greedy Vance where he's in guys, he's in there with guys. They're going to have those guys that, that, that fit what he wants to do. And I think that like, like, like Cam said, Brian Brown can do different things. He can do what he wants to do. And I think that first year he was just doing what he could do. Um, and I think the last game we, in the bowl game, we saw them really kind of let loose and do, do, do much better. Um, and then, you know, we go in this year and it's like, man, trick, like Clark was in, I mean, I think he's the best player on the team this year. I think it's hard to argue that. I mean, he was, and he was so key with everything else and it, and it translates to everybody else in the defense. Um, and I, I thought that was great. And I think that the the only real kind of negative was they still have to get the pass rush. But we knew that coming in the season that, hey, the guys that they got that, that are better pass rushers are all young. So they're going to take time to get there. Um, so, I, but I, I, I can't be, I don't think, I think it's hard to be uh, unhappy with the way the defense played. Yeah, and I know I told Jacob in our defensive breakdown episode, I was kind of reserved about making this comparison because you're comparing it to an all-pro caliber guy. But as time has gone on, I feel more convicted in this comparison that I think uh, Kytrell Clark is probably Louisville's best man-to-man cover corner since Jair Alexander. I mean, he just stays right at the receiver's tip almost the entire time. Very rarely does he get bit on some of these double moves. And more often than not, he's able to make a play on the ball, whether that's a pass breakup or just getting pressure on the receiver to make him uncomfortable. It, it, he's he was the like you said, he's probably the best player on the team right now. And then that kind of that kind of confidence in his play kind of spread to the rest of the cornerbacks room with Anthony Johnson, Marlon Character, all all those guys. So I'll take it a step further. I, I don't think he's just the best cover corner since Jair. He's the, he's a similar style of player where that aggressive in your face, trust my skills, trust my speed, trust my ability to make a play. He, he is exactly the guy that they need. I, I like, I, I can't say enough. If greedy Vance, who I, I, the flashes I saw from greedy Vance, same kind of player. If though, if he can match that, and if he, he takes that next step forward, Louisville has two very, very good corners for exactly what they want to do going forward. And that defense can take another step forward next year. I mean, I when I did my all ACC ballot, Catcher Clark was the first first name down for me as a corner. Like, I, there's some really good corners in ACC, but I didn't think anybody was more influential um, or had a better year than he did this year. I mean, you talk about being sticky. I, his interception, he didn't make like an incredible play on the ball against Syracuse. He was just on the guy and being there in the area, yeah. deflected the ball, and it just popped in his hands. It's, he's dropped. He dropped three easier interceptions than that, like previously during the season. So it's just a matter of him, like. He is a super confident guy who's just going to just gonna be like, listen, you're not going to beat me. And he's going to think that every down, even if he does get beat. And I think, I think that's what they need at corner. 
Yeah, Keith, you talk about that 2018 Appalachian State uh, defense. I believe that was uh, Clifton Dunks last year there, and and he, obviously he was one of the best cornerbacks in, in mid-major football, went on to play a little bit of NFL. I don't know if he's still there, but um, having an NFL-caliber guy is obviously a game-changer for a defense. Um, and, and we've talked about this. The most frustrating thing defensively was the 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 just high number of dropped interceptions. I think they, they easily would have led the country in dropped interceptions this year. Um, Clark had two at least in the Notre Dame game. I know he had several others this year. Uh, is that a concern at all to you guys, or is that something that, uh, you know, with a little bit more time this spring and summer, they can focus on that? I, I will say, I, I remember, and I, as a Browns fan, I'll put this out there. Like, <laughs> I don't remember what game it was, but the Browns dropped like eight picks in a game. And I remember talking to my brother who played Division One football, and we were just so mad and so frustrated about it. And he made a really good point to me. It was like, they're in the right spots. And that's encouraging. That was that's encouraging. Like you, that's that's fantastic because I asked Matt. I said at the end of the last yeah, week when we finished that's, the episode, that's I said, the same exact just, answer I gave. Is them, it yeah. good if we just are there? Like, did yeah. they made the play? Can I mean, we count that as kind of a win? Guys like like Lovey Jenkins dropped a few. Like he he barely even played. Just the fact that he knows where to be and is in the right spot to make a play. Josh Josh Meekins, Greedy Vance, like those are when you see young guys get in position to make a play. Though they don't make the play, I think it's encouraging going forward. Now, would you like them to not drop 15 interceptions a year? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you just kind of just kind of work in the offseason on that. But I think it's encouraging that they were in the right spots. It shows the growth um, and the defense that they now know what they're doing uh, in their second year. So you look at the guys they've been recruiting, and, like, the main thing you see is these guys, they're getting ball hauls. They're getting guys that have eight, nine interceptions. I think Ben Perry set the state record with nine interceptions in his junior year. Greedy Vance had nine interceptions his senior year. Uh, so they're getting guys that, like you said, they're in the right spot. We know they can catch the ball because they, they can hit it at the high school level. Uh, but being in the right spot is so much more important than anything else because that's, to be 100% blunt, that was the biggest issue with Louisville's defense for the last handful of years. Nobody was ever right, right where they were supposed to be. I mean, receivers are just running freely, catching balls with, with no one near them. Uh, let alone the fact that the defenders were never in a position where they could actually knock the ball away, let alone pick it off. So getting guys in a spot where they're actually um, able to intercept a pass is is huge. Um, I thought there another thing that was great is in close in tight situations down in the red zone and in the end zone, they were able to get guys uh, breaking up passes or being in that spot in, in those huge plays. Uh, and I think that's that's another big thing. Like I said, guys were fighting even though they weren't in good position. Even if the, the, the game was – they were losing or whatever it may be, guys were still fighting hard. So I thought that was important too. All right, last question here on the defense before we transition to kind of looking ahead because uh, the question I have to kind of lob up next year will kind of flow from the defense. But when you look at the pass rush situation, it, it wasn't good um, from a number of fronts, I thought – uh, early in the season, there was, you know, a lot of criticism that was pretty fair on, you know, on third down plays, Louisville would rush three. They, you know, they wouldn't really put any kind of unique blitz packages together. Um, throughout the season, that got better. You know, there was plays, there was guys there. I thought that throughout the season, Louisville really just uh, missed on a few sacks. I mean, they whiffed on a few. They were there with hurries on several others. Um, but in terms of the the lack of pass rush, in your mind, um, is it a scheme thing? Is it a talent thing? Is it an experience thing? Is it depth? Is it play calling? Like, what's the biggest issue that plagued Louisville's defense this year and being able to get any push? Oh, well, I think it was just – I just didn't think they had the guys. I mean, I, like Keith said earlier, a lot of the guys you thought would get a lot of pressure, pressure for young guys. I mean, I, honestly, I thought early on the person who impressed me the most was Thurman Gathers, and then he transferred. So, 
yeah. I, I was I was shocked by that. I I think Ramon Perrier is playing better. Um, I thought Gowire played better as the year went on. But I mean, you're looking at guys like Yaya Diaby. I think he he had a pretty good year when he was healthy. I just I just think they what they have are young guys who can get after the passer. I just don't think they were experienced enough yet. I think that to get that consistent pass rush is going to take some time. Um, now, I think having the corners helps you because then you have corners who can lock up. You can, you can do different things. And I think you saw that later when Brian got a little bit more um, experimental with blitzes. Um, but I just didn't think they had the guys to do it yet. I think, um, I mean, they had, they had some older experienced guys, but I just didn't, don't think they were where they needed to be. Well, I think I'll be honest. One of my, my only concern about the defense coming into uh, the hire when when these guys came on was when I watched the State games. I didn't. I was never impressed with the pass rush. I never felt like they really had um, anything special about it to get to the quarterback, and it was a concern. And, and the numbers back that up. But what they did have is that they had a pass rush that forced the ball out quickly. And when you have corners that are locking people up that's a recipe for a lot of three and outs. And, and they, they led the, they led the nation at one point in 2018 and three and outs. I mean, they were very good about stopping the run, getting you in a passing situation, making your quarterback get the ball out of his hands quickly and then having corners that are going to be sticky and make it hard to get a first down. Um, so I, it's not necessarily about the sacks. Uh, I think from a scheme standpoint, if, if I'm being fair from what I've seen in the past, um, but I do think that they do struggle from a standpoint of just not having the guys yet. I'm, I'm interested to see with the the young, the freshmen they have coming in. They've got guys that are just flat out pass rushers, and they've just been honest. Mark Ivey's been kind of honest that these guys are going to be pass rushers for the defense. But can you rely on freshmen? I mean, that's that's a very hard thing to do. But a Jadarian Boykin, uh, a Diaby, um, and then uh, Zach Edwards is another guy that I think can be a pass rusher for this defense. Can they develop? Can these guys be more than what we've seen so far as second-year guys and third-year guys? That's what we need to see. And they, I think they have more guys. We just got to see who's going to step up to be that third-down package when they need guys on that three-man rush or when they're bringing five guys with, with you know, linebackers and secondary guys. Who can be that guy? And so far, we just haven't seen anybody step up to be that guy yet. One, one thing I will say, though, is Yasir Abdullah, yeah, as they started getting more comfortable with those corners, that's the guy that really stood out as an edge rusher, and I think he has a potential to have a big year. He was a stud at the end of the year. Yep. I, I think he could mm-hmm. be a star next year, I, especially with the increased depth at linebacker. They can they can move him around a little bit more now. I think he could have a really good year next year. And Keith, I'm I'm glad you brought up the how Louisville kind of struggled to get pressured in, in a clear passing situations. Cause when Jacob and I were doing our defensive uh, breakdown episode, one of the stats was one that honestly blew my mind. We, thanks to football outsiders, we found some numbers on, on the sacks uh, Louisville sack rate on standard down, which is, you know, first and 10, second and seven, third and four and fourth and four Louisville was getting sacks on 8% of those standard downs, which was tied for the 11th best mark in all of division one. And it was third in the ACC behind Clemson and Pitt, but make that into but their sack rate on passing downs which was you know downs on clear passing situations it was just 5.4 percent which is 103rd in division one the only the only team they were ahead of was fsu so that that just shows how how much pass rush is a need on this team because when it comes to those situations i mean the covers can the corners and safeties can cover all day long but if you're getting no pressure the quarterback is going to find someone eventually yeah 
That's interesting. We know all too well with Louisville sports. It's <laughs> it's all or nothing, right? Louisville for forever. Yeah. You have Lamar Jackson and then the best offense in the world, but you've got a defense that literally can't cover anybody. It's all or nothing all the time. I expect nothing less of Louisville football. All right, transition into the future in 2021. We've kind of talked about the defense. What, uh, what's the next evolution in this? I mean, obviously pass rush comes along. Uh, you're replacing two safeties, a couple of key linebacker spots. Um, you're trying to work in younger defensive uh, linemen. You get a, a, a dynamic playmaker in Kendrick Duncan that I cannot wait to see on the field this year. I, I don't know if it'll be the impact of Clark, but he's a guy I cannot wait to see. But what's the next step? How good can they be defensively in 2021? Yeah, my, my biggest worry is the safety spot. Um, I, I just you've got so many young guys. I think uh, Dunk is going to be can be really really good for them. Um, I think he's he can be an impact player there. I, I just you just have so many young guys. Not that they're not talented. I think Lovey and Josh are going to have really bright futures. I think Ben Perry's a stud. I think you're also bringing in Braylon Oliver and TJ Quinn, and, and those are guys you can also move around. Like you can play him at card if you want to in certain packages, and you can you can move him around. But it's just a, it's not a lot of in-game experience when you're losing guys like um, like Ross and Isaiah Hayes. So um, that's my biggest worry. I think if they can be solid in the back and not give up a ton of plays, I think they have a chance to build on uh, what they did this year. So I, I I will have a different view on that. I think they're more athletic at safety going forward with the younger guys. I agree. Um, but I do think the experience is, is definitely key. But I think that that athleticism helps you fix it. You, you're able to fix your mistakes a lot better when you can run down your mistakes and things like that. And when you can when you can make more dynamic plays, because I think that turnovers on the defensive side of the ball is what we're going to see as a big change on the defense. They're going to start – you're going to start seeing more, you know, more pressure on the quarterback I said that coming in this year, and I was wrong. But I think that I think we're going to see more pressure. But I think we're going to be seeing better coverage and more playmakers in the back end. I think that you know I do think that Lovey Jenkins dropping interceptions is bad on one hand, but he's in the right spot, and yeah. we didn't really see that from Isaiah Hayes or Rushies. Those guys weren't weren't really in a spot to make interceptions very often, uh, and Lovey being able to do that in a, in a short in a small amount of time, and I. I I'm going to probably eat my words, but I think Ben Perry is going to be an absolute star from the time he steps on the field as a freshman. It's, uh, it's, and it's, it's such a plus to have him for the spring. I mean, because right? he, might, he might mess around and start against Ole Miss. It's, it's, yes. I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with that kid. And I think he's got the mental, the, the football smarts aspect down where I think getting him in the spring, getting him in the, in the playbook for a whole summer, and then working on his body to figure out is he going to be a card? Or is he going to be a safety? And I think they're going to have to figure it out because he is a big kid. He's got a big frame. And once they figure that out, he's going to get on the field some way or another because the card position is actually the position I'm worried about. Uh, I'm a little less worried about safety because I'm, I'm a believer in Josh and, and, and um, Lovey Jenkins. And I think that they've got some other options at the other spot, the free safety spot. But the card spot, I'm not really sure how they replace Roger Burns. I was yeah. I was surprised Marvin Dallas didn't get a lot some more time this year, Card. I mean, I, I you heard a lot of good things about him coming out of the summer. I, I'm interested to see how he does this spring. For well, he was a, a missile on special teams. I mean, he made yeah. so many plays there at the end of the year. They looked so much faster when he, when he was on the field. Uh, but that card spot is definitely that's something we talked about a little bit. And the the safety position, 
for me, defensively, that's been the most frustrating thing to watch because the pass rush thing, you kind of knew that going into the season. Okay, these aren't your household defensive ends. They're still trying to kind of comb through the last kind of group of holdovers to get their guys going. But with Rush East and, and Isaiah Hayes, I just never thought they played extremely well. Um, and so I'm kind of excited to take this the, to see this next step because Keith and, and Matt, we've watched, you know, Louisville have dynamic duos of safeties for the last decade with Hakeem Smith and Calvin Pryor and James Sample and Gerard Holloman, Joshua Harvey Clemens. I mean, we've had we've seen a lot of really good safeties. And so for that position to um, I, I think it was average, just to, to be honest with you, to be as average as it was, is kind of frustrating. But I've got a lot of faith in shit on Brown. And I think they're going to take a big step there. Uh, go to the other side of the ball offensively. Uh, when you look at replacing Tutu and uh, Tutu Atwell and Javian Hawkins, obviously we've we've kind of mentioned and talked about it briefly, but um, what's the game plan? What's the offense? You're going to be kind of more of a by committee at wide receiver and running back. What, where do you see them kind of being able to thrive in 2021, and where do you think will kind of be their biggest setback? I, I think uh, I think they got to figure out whether or not Braden Smith can really take on that big step of a role. Um, I think they've. I think they're going to be more uh, focused on that short passing game, more of a quick passing game, I guess you can say. But they've got to be able to keep defenses off uh, off balance with the stuff they did with Tutu. Um, and can Braden Smith be that guy? I think they early in the season we saw early on that he's a tough over the middle of the field kind of guy, and I think that's where they need him to be on third downs. But with the entire basis of the offense, can he be a guy that can do those uh, uh, jet sweeps and things like that? Um, I think that's the most important thing because I do think they're going to be fine with Justin Marshall, with Jordan Watkins, with some of the guys they have. I think Josh Johnson stepped up a little bit. I think they'll be fine on the outside and in and, and the basic passing game, but it's more of the dynamic plays that 2-2 came on with. Can Braden Smith take on some of that? And can Jordan, will they use Jordan Watkins on some of those plays? Yeah, no, I agree. That, that's my biggest question. I think the off the line has probably more depth than they've had since Satterfield and have been here. Um, I mean, I think they've got a lot of guys back. I, my, my question is, what do you get out of the receivers? I think, like you said, Justin Marshall, I think will be fine. I'm hoping he gets an increased role next year because I think he's just, I mean, a physical specimen. Like, I just don't, I, like, I, I, if I'm a DB lining up against Justin Marshall, I usually, I'm freaking out. To be honest with you, but, uh, especially after seeing that Waverly Hills video, because you oh know he's not scared God. of anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think Jordan Watkins will be good. I, I'm with I'm with Keith. I, I want to see if Braden Smith can be that that deep ball and then kind of big play type of guy that Tutu was. He dropped a few passes this year. I'd like, like to see him clean that up. Um, but I think they will be more methodical. I I think I think they got to get Christian Fitzpatrick in there somewhere as well. He was he was banged up a little bit at the beginning of the year. Never really found his way into the rotation. Um, I think they'll use him some more as well. And I think, I mean, I, I know losing Javon Hawkins hurts, but I think they're fine at running back. I mean, it's, it's uh, that explosion is hard to, to mimic, but I mean, with the committee of Jalen Mitchell and Hassan Hall and potential, potentially Cooley, I think they're, I think they'll be fine at running back. And a slight concern that I have is that going into next season from uh, the receiver standpoint, I think that they can't run the same type of offense with Tutu in that they just wanted to keyhole on him for most of the season because no offense to Braden Smith, but he's, he's, he's not the dynamic playmaker that Tutu Atwell is. So if they can continue to try and employ the same kind of basic strategy where just give him the ball the, the whole time because he's, he's fast, he's not going to make the same plays that Tutu is. And, and Justin Marshall needs to step up. He, 
he didn't end up, end up finishing with triple digit receiving numbers. He was seventh in receiving and the way he was talking throughout the offseason, I thought that he would be the bona fide three guy, but it turns out like he, he just, he struggled at times. So I, I don't think to, to be fair for Justin Marshall, I don't think he ever truly got a shot. I mean, the, the target is true for that outside spot where he gets, I mean, it's similar to Seth Dawkins. He never really got a lot of targets there as well. I, I think you'll see him get more targets this season. Yeah. yeah and, and that kind of plays into the offense and having to not be as predictable and not just spread the ball to just one guy the entire time. They apps, if there was every year for them to spread the wealth a lot more than they have in the past, this was it because you don't have Des, you don't have Tutu, your star running back is gone. You don't have the star power that you have, have had in the last couple of years. So there, you, you don't have a guy you can key on. So I, I'm curious to see how they're going to adjust in that regard. I think that, I think that the, issue early on is they use him as a deep threat only and I don't think he's very good at it I mean he doesn't track the football very well in the air which is very surprising for a big guy like him that's what guys that his size usually learn how to do and then you have to learn all the other stuff I think he showed this past year that he's actually really good at the intermediate stuff he looked just I won't say just as good as Des but when they ran those deep comeback routes he adjusted to the ball he came back to the ball made catches with his hands and got a field and got extra yardage if he can be that guy, he can take on a much bigger role and they'll have to find somebody else to be the deep threat. I don't think he's a deep threat kind of guy. You're not going to be able to throw the ball down to him, down the sideline, and have him track the football and make a play. If he gets better, he, he might be better at it now, but when they used him for that uh, two years ago, he was flat out bad at it. It just was. I mean, he, he just does not that's, – that's something that, unfortunately – I don't know how to really put it. I've never seen that before from a big guy like him not be able to catch the ball over their shoulder. Um, that's usually what you learn as that threat. He was he impressed me as a guy that can run a 10-yard route, a 15-yard route, those slants, those those deep comebacks that they really relied on. He did good with that. He looked really good. He caught the ball away from his body in traffic. That's what they need from him, and that's where, uh, you know, when, when I, I, I'll – trying to speak for Cam here, that's what gets you excited of what he can be next year because he's shown if he can do it, he can do the entire route tree that they're trying to run, but he's just not good at the stuff that you kind of expect him to be good at. But I think he's – if he can be that and if they're doing that, if they go back to that short, intermediate, quick passing game that they ran at App State more often, which we saw late in the season this past year, he's your guy that's going to lead the team and catches in, you know, in my opinion. And he, and he moves better than you think for some yes. of his size. Um, and that's what that is what impressed me on the like Key said on some of those short those those comeback routes a 10 15 yard routes I I think he just he catches the ball and his, he goes similar to how Dez was not as explosive as Dez but in that similar sense. All right, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball into the show because I think our listening audience would be a little uh, peeved with Matt and I if we didn't ask about this because this has been a huge storyline uh, over the end of the season. I don't need to rehash the details of the Scott Satterfield in South Carolina um, interview and potential interest in him as a head coach. Um, but one thing I do, I do think that's interesting to kind of watch. And I'm curious as, you know, Cam as somebody who covers the team as the beat writer and Keith, who knows the program so well and the fan base so well, uh, I see an issue heading into next season where Scott Satterfield has put himself into a little bit of a pickle because if uh, he does very well as head coach and Louisville wins eight or nine games, I think the fan base is going to be worried about potentially him jumping in at, at the next opportunity knew that was coming. I knew that was coming the way Matt's dancing around up there. Um, 
but on the other hand, say Louisville loses, you know, nine games next year, 10 games next year. I think the fan base is going to be ready to potentially run him out of town. I, I can't say that for sure, but I think that what we saw in the backlash this year really um, wasn't surprising from Louisville fans. But Cam, what, what do you think next year? How, how does this situation go? Is it something that just quickly falls into the background and it's over and it was in the past? Or um, do you think that, that it'll be a storyline? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I thought the best thing Scott Satterfield did after all the South Carolina stuff was beat Wake Forest. Because my God, if he would have lost Wake Forest, it'd have been a wrap. Like I think fans would have been would have gone crazy. Um, the best thing he beat Wake Forest and then he signed his whole recruiting class. And I think you put it to bed for a little bit. Now you got to win games next year. You got to improve on four and however many games they had this year. Um, you 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 want to get back into a bowl game. Say let's let's assume they play a full season. You want to get back into a bowl game, potentially win that. I think that puts everything at ease a little bit. I think the whole thing of, like, if he does too well, you're worried that he's going to leave. I think that just comes with the, with, with the job. You know, I, I think if, if he's just always going to be a guy who every year, if he does, he, if he wins six or seven games, his name's going to be the first, say somebody gets fired, his name's going to be in that, in that list. I think that's just kind of how it is. Um, so I think, I think as a fan base, you'd rather hit him win, get football games, uh, and then be worried that he's going to leave than him lose. And you got to try to r- convince Fitzsiree to run him out of town. Um, I, I just think that just comes with what, what it is as a fan, as a fan of a Browns fan, who's as a Browns fan, who's tried to run coaches out of Cleveland many, many years. I, I get it. I get it. Um, but I'd, I'd rather the coach win and you be worried about him leaving than lose. And you try, you got to get him out of there. Yeah, I think that's a good point about winning. Um, I mean, Scott Satterfield is a guy that can get them to the point where they're winning double-digit games or they're getting a, a sniff of the ACC championship or getting to the ACC championship game, and then he decides to move on. I, I think that I, don't, I just don't care. I mean, that means that the program is in a good spot. You, you trust your AD to make another good hire. I mean, and hopefully things go well. I mean, that's that's all you can really do. That's most. That's honestly the overwhelming majority of college football. So. I mean, I, I think there's a unrealistic expectation that Louisville somehow or another will buck the trend and find this coach that's going to stick around forever, and that just doesn't happen. So I don't really care about that aspect of it. I do think that if he if he ends up losing eight, nine games again, yeah, it's going to be bad. I mean, it's going to be bad. He, he Not only did the situation happen, he handled it so poorly that – I mean, it, let's put it this way. When we did a – me and Mike did a podcast before the season started and you asked about whether or not they win nine games or whatever. Like, you know, do you get him a new contract? Me and Mike both said the same thing. Like, yeah, man, sign him up. Like, you you know, if he can win nine or 10 games and, and show that upward trajectory after that first year, you got to try to do everything you can and do to keep him. And part of that was because everyone loved the guy. I mean, he had so much goodwill. The staff had so much goodwill and they just, they just kind of flushed that down the toilet. So now you're in a situation where he's got to win the fans back, which is insane if you really think about it, but he's got to do that. And I do think that Cam made a good point, not just beating Wake Forest, but signing a good class, being able to hopefully improve your team with some of that class, um, signing some good transfers that are going to come in and, and make some and, and, and create some depth for your team. I think they have a plan to really still look at some things in the fall uh, for some guys that can come and provide depth. I think they're going to be able to shore up things, have a good season. And I think as long – I think if they were to go seven and six with a bowl win, 
I think he's fine. I think they're in a position where, hey, you can say they're doing okay. And then the next year, fans will expect that step forward, I think. Right. And I, I believe it was um, Mike Rutherford that said this. I think the quicker that fans realize that uh, this is nature of college football. In college football, there's, there's no Denny Crumb. There's not someone who's going to stick around for multiple years at one stop. I mean, that's no fit. There's nothing wrong with that guy. There's nothing wrong with the program. That's just how the nature of college football is. That's how it's been for decades and decades. So I think the, the quicker that fans realize that more often than not, no matter who the program is, a single head coach is not going to stay that long, whether because it doesn't pan out or whether he gets poached by another school. I think the easier it will be for fans to come to terms with Satterfield might not be here long term now if he is if he does become the denny crumb of Louisville football that's perfect but i think fans just need to accept and realize that more often than not if he does good if he does bad he might not be here for the long term well i do think another another thing that factors in is that and i and i I always find myself not realizing this because i don't really rivalry much but when you have stoops down in uk and he's there and he's sticking around and they've reached new heights recently. And then they're also consistently at least average, which is what you're expecting in the UK, right? The, the expectations are too high. That's what, you know, when you see that, and, and a lot of fans, you got to think, their their football diet is Louisville and Kentucky at most. That's all they're looking at. They, you know, they don't really watch the entire, you know, national landscape like like, you know, like we do. You know, when you kind of sit back and realize that, you realize that people think that, no, we should be able to get a coach like that. But you're also accepting middle of the pack of your conference most of the time and hopefully a step up. And I think Louisville's a little bit better than that. I think they're looking to be towards the top of the conference, hopefully competing for a championship outside of what Clemson does, obviously. So it's a, it's a different dynamic. It's a different situation. But, you know. It's the rivalry. Nobody really cares about that type of stuff. I appreciate your all's times. Of course, everyone who is listening, probably listening to hear from Keith and Cameron. So you don't, you know where to follow them at CJ underscore Teague on Twitter and Keith underscore win cardchronicle.com careerjournal.com. Thank you guys. I appreciate uh, everything and best of luck enjoying the off season, I guess. Appreciate it guys. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.